You're listening to the Bride Chilla Podcast, helping bride chillas and groom chillas plan their wedding minus the bullshit. One podcast at a time with your host, Alicia McCormack. A big welcome to everyone listening everywhere. Alicia is my name and uh, I'm delighted to be sharing this time with you. Welcome to the Bride Chilla Podcast where we talk about wedding planning and all the stuff that you wouldn't read on a not forum. Burn. Today's episode is part two of wedding planning regrets. You you wonderful people had so much to say and it's not all negative. I just want to reiterate that, yeah, a lot of people are saying, no, I probably wouldn't do it that way again. I don't know why we're all talking like truckers here. I don't know what's happened to my voice right now. This is what you get when you listen to this show, by the way. If you're confused and you've just tuned in for the first time, this is the reality of what you're listening to. No, the big thing is I asked about your wedding planning regrets and we had people comment that we're already married, our chiller graduates as we like to call them, and we had lots of people who are further down the track with their wedding planning. And in last week's episode, I talked a lot about the the jumping off problems where you get really excited and you buy a lot of shit that you don't need or you make a decision very quickly which happens to the best of us, especially when you potentially meet vendors who put a bit of pressure on you or you want to get married in the height of wedding planning, bloody wedding time, which is summer in a lot of places. Things just book out 17 years in advance and it can stress you out. And you're like, Jesus, I've got to make a decision. I'll just make a decision now. I'll just spend the money now. And then 10 minutes later, you're like, oh man, shouldn't have done that. First topic of regret, which was actually quite a common topic, and I can totally see why. That's DIY regret. Do-it-yourself regret. 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 I don't know about you. I love craft. I love to buy tools. I like to go and while away the hours in a Michaels-style environment. Spotlight, we call it in Australia. Go to Spotlight. Grab some um, haberdashery. Spend some time in the Manchester department looking at sheets. Actually, this is something you would be going, what the fuck is she talking about? Because I realise now saying that Manchester is a word, it's a place, obviously. Manchester, can't do the accent, don't do it. Don't do any sort of northern accents in England. I can do the lower ones, not the northern ones. Manchester is a place, but in Australia, Australian bride chillers, not along while I say this. We call sheets, towels, other sort of linen-y pillow slips, I suppose, tablecloths, linen, basically, Manchester. That is our word. So if you go to a department store in Australia, we would say, and we want to buy some sheets, some bedding, we would say, where's the Manchester department? And if you say that anywhere else, I believe, I think Australia is the only country that does this, no one knows what the fuck you're talking about. They're just called sheets. And it comes from the fact that Aussies, and I only know this because when I've said it in Britain, I just get these sort of slack-jawed looks like, you're an idiot. You're an Antipodean idiot. And it comes from the idea that we didn't have, that the cotton was uh, produced in mills in Manchester. And then it was shipped over to Australia. So they called the sheets Manchester. That's Alicia's fun fact today on the Bride Chiller podcast had nothing to do with weddings. How did I get there? Yes, Spotlight. It's our version of Michael's in Australia. Christ, if you are just joining me for this, welcome. So, DIY regrets. Just jumping on quickly so I don't make people leave. Because, <laughs> you know, some people would be switching off right now. Bride Chiller 
Alina, says not necessarily a regret. But if I were to do it all over again, I'd probably just buy our centrepieces and table numbers. My future husband and I built and stained 20 wooden flower boxes and I cut, stained and lettered the number table numbers to match. I think they'll look great, but it's definitely something that could have gone in our bucket bucket for the amount of time we spent on it. See... This is where I come into my own with DIY and where I am completely to blame for this stuff personally in our lives because I'm just like, we could just whip that up. Why would we buy it? Just whip it up. And there's a thing in our in our family called the McCormack 8 Minutes and that I'm sure your family might have a similar thing. But that means you'll go, oh, I'm just going to be 5 to 10 minutes, probably 8 minutes. I'll be there soon. I'm just finishing this small project. No, no it's not going to take me long. I'll just finish it. Seven and a half hours later, still haven't finished the fucking project. My dad is the classic case of the McCormack five minutes, eight minutes. He literally will be in the shed and will not come out for days. So I think when you are taking on a DIY project, it's really important to be realistic as to how long, like how much time you wish to allocate to this and then add a couple of days because, you know, going through the the process of actually doing big projects like staining things, cutting things, using tools, especially if it's not your bag, IRL, it can take a lot longer. And you've got to spend, you've got to allocate time to go back to the computer and watch YouTube videos of people that actually know what they're doing. You really need to be able to just spend the time, the the time for the going outside and doing angry screams into the wilderness when things fuck up. It's hard. Brad Chiller Sam says, I thought I could make my own tall vases by gluing two small glasses to glass. <laughs> by gluing two. Oh, I can't even say it. <sighs> by gluing two small vases together. Like what the fuck? She didn't say what the fuck. She's just like, like what? But I've put fuck on there because, well, just because. Harking back. Harking back. It's like I'm from the oldie times. Going back to what I was talking about earlier in the episode and a little bit last episode about trying to book vendors and know what the right quote-unquote decisions are to when to make them and how much to pay for them can be really stressful. And 99% of listeners, maybe 95% of listeners, have never organised, and I'm in this boat too, have never organised an event of this sort of calibre in their lives. We all do other stuff in our day lives and it, most of it doesn't involve organising, you know, hundreds of people, vendors to turn up at certain times, negotiating costs, figuring out budgets, all that sort of stuff. I have no doubt we're all competent people with our day skills. But when you are trying to negotiate all of this extra stuff on top of it, when someone comes along and offers you a good thing, I think sometimes it's great to just take it and move on and not spend a good part of six months trying to look at eight different photographers when you found someone you really like and book them. However, sometimes this can backfire. <laughs> Bride Chiller Anya. I regret letting the stress of good vendors get booked out early get to me. Narrowing down a vision and decisions way too quickly and booking a package at a resort in a convenient location for guests, although a destination wedding, the more I think about it, the more I wish I've spent the money on a wedding planner. I've come too far after putting in hours weekly for a year and I wish we'd organised a beautiful villa wedding in a quiet location instead. 
stressing about all the randos at the resort. Randos, that's an Australian word for randoms. Random people. Randos. At the resort, standing around watching our wedding. I also wished I would have joined some good communities specific to our destination earlier so I could hear from real people what it's like and what their opinions of the place was, were. She's written were. I also regret letting wedding planning take over my life for one year. I should have balanced things more and just enjoyed being engaged, especially now with a recent concerning diagnosis as none of the aesthetic parts matter in the big picture. Oh, yes, Anya, yes. Firstly, I'm sorry to hear about your concerning diagnosis, whatever that may be and whomever that may be about. Love to you. Anya is a great member of our community. She's always on top of it all and she's been a fantastic contributor and is always the first one to write back to people. So our love goes to you. You're fucking great. Anya, great points you're making about jumping into things, especially when it comes to destination planning. Often it is really the simple option to book the package, to find something that can help you, especially when you're planning from afar, just get stuff done. And I know reading your earlier post that that's been convenient for you, but also, as you said, it's hard when you get closer to it and you realise that there may not be as much flexibility with some packages, that it might have been nice to be able to put in a little bit more of a personal touch or necessarily have, as you said, people wandering in and out if it's at a resort. It's quite hard to block off areas. That is a good point to make, though, if you are planning a destination wedding or a wedding that is open to the public, a space, a community space like a park, really just anywhere that someone could wander in and have a little rubber neck and look around. And to be honest, it's probably not even going to be a big deal. But do ask those questions. Is this accessible to the public? Is there facilities that the public, are there facilities, sorry, uh, that the public will be using as well as your guests? What stops randos from wandering in these are really good questions to ask early on and although I'm sure you know people will be respectful and won't be rubbernecking too much and you won't even notice them on the day it's just good to be aware it's very good to be aware moving on lovely bride chiller Melissa said honestly honestly I would actually plan the wedding sooner like maybe only a six to eight month engagement I actually agree I mean, once you make the big decisions, you're sort of done. You're just a lot of waiting around. She says most of the big decisions were made quickly in the first few weeks of getting engaged, and we've been really happy with these choices. The decisions that we've had time to go back and forth on have caused way more stress. Good point. Sometimes it's just like, rip the Band-Aid off, get it done, make a decision, move on. I think I'm just ready to get married now. Or I wish that we'd basically chose to do a larger dinner party celebration at a nice restaurant instead of a full-blown reception. Although we definitely would have had to downsize the guest list, which we also didn't want to do. We still have only around 80 to 100 people. I also wish we had started budgeting from the beginning much better. Mmm. Cutler points. Cutler points for you there. I agree. Budgeting from the get-go is not sexy, but it's necessary. There are so many things in life that are not sexy but necessary and in the end make things a lot easier for you. And I, if you know my financial history, which I've been very honest about, it's not bad if you don't know my financial history. It's not grim. It's just that I used to be a bit like, it's a credit card statement. I'll just pop it in this special place called the bin and not think about it. 
And I am not financially irresponsible. I just felt a bit of shame about a bit of credit card debt. And I know people listening have lots of school debt, lots of you know education debt, or whatever we want to call it, college debt and credit cards and mortgages and all the other shit that we've got to deal with about being humans and being educated or just living our lives. And it can be really challenging when you're coming to this day of wanting to celebrate and you wanted to just pay for stuff and you realize you don't have enough money or your expectations of the day do not match your bank account or access to funds. And trust me, If you are realistic and you know what you're going to spend or what you physically can spend and where that money is coming from, from day one, it's a lot less traumatic than living in dream bubble wedding land where you spend money and like, you know, later on you're like, what the fuck are we going to do to pay for this thing? Or how are we going to be in debt for years afterwards to pay for a party? And some people are perfectly comfortable. And this is not a judgment thing from my perspective at all. You can do whatever the hell you want. But some people are more comfortable with debt than others. And I would say I am probably uncomfortable with debt because I am a freelancer. I work in TV. I've always been a contract worker, which is fun, but it can also suck when it comes to paying back money because you don't know when the next gig's going to be. And that's how my credit card stuff. Literally, I didn't buy anything fun to develop a credit card bill that I had when I met my husband, Rich. It wasn't like, I'm going to buy some shoes. It was literally like, I'll buy this week's like food shop because at the time I was working these sort of shitty contracts and it just caught up on me. So I do think that people have different relationships with debt, budgeting, money. And that's something I talk a lot about in the Bridechiller Survival Guide. I have a whole chapter about our money stories and about how as couples, as individuals, we come together as couples bringing two very different perspectives about money and finances and budgeting. And sometimes we can get 20 years down the track and we still haven't worked our shit out and you're having the same fight over and over again about money or about someone spending more than they thought they were going to spend and the other person reacting. And it isn't until you get a handle on how your money stories work together or creating a new money story that you can really make things work and things will get easier. Also, by having a conversation about your wedding budget and really making sure you are honest with each other about your expectations of spending and how much money you think individually you think is worthy of spending on a wedding and making sure that those figures aren't wildly different will solve you, will solve you, well, they'll solve your problems. It'll save you so much potential drama in the future. I really can't commend you enough for saying that you wish the budgeting stuff had happened earlier. I think it's the it's the takeaway from this episode is you got to be on the same page. You got to have the same figures in mind. You got have I lost it? I lost it. I haven't done my American accent for a while. We're heading to America in a couple of weeks, so I will be doing lots of research and I will improve the accent on the road. There'll be more wedding regrets. <laughs> that sounds funny saying it. There'll be more wedding regrets after these short messages. This year episode of the Bride Chiller Podcast, another weird accent, is <laughs> all about your wedding planning regrets. Bride Chiller Kirsten sent a lovely list. And I'm going to share some of them with you. It's a solid list. She says, I regret, one, not choosing a venue that was BYOB. 
huge, huge savings could have been made there. Bring your own booze. Yeah, that's a hard one. Sometimes they're hard to find though. No regrets. Number two, well, she does have regrets, but I'm saying, you know, it's hard. they're hard to find. Number two, not doing a destination wedding. I feel like I paid for a party for other people and it's hard to be able to catch up with people who came from out of town in a traditional wedding setting. Interesting point. It seems like more the more expensive option at first, but even if you have to end up paying for important people to attend because they can't afford it on their own, you would still be spending way less than a traditional wedding. This is a this is a very good point. I've had quite a few guests on talking about planning destination weddings over the years. And the one uh, message that I think really resonates from those episodes have been actually destination weddings, and this is very much dependent on your well, your budget and your expectations. But comparing a, oh, I'm going to say quote unquote normal, what the fuck does that mean? And not average, because average makes it sound like, oh, it's bloody, it's just average, it's just shit, it's just fine, it's average. But your average wedding, ugh, I hate myself for saying that, you get what I mean, that it is actually often cheaper to go and take a smaller group of people, plan more activities, head off, because a lot of the tag-alongs that will come along to your normal, if I could say normal, just say it, wedding, are not going to go to Jamaica or something because you're just going to, you know, plan your 30-person wedding or whatever. Some people will come, some people won't. And in the end, often is much cheaper. I didn't explain that very well. You can go back and listen to the episodes. What a grouch. Number three, buying shoes that were focused on style versus comfort. Oh my God. My ceremony was often overtaken by thoughts of how painful my feet were. Sister, I am such a big fan of comfortable shoes. I'm not saying you need to wear Crocs to your wedding. If you want to, that's your choice. I wouldn't. I think they're all disgusting. But I do think we underestimate, especially people who don't wear heels all the time, how fucking awful they can feel after two seconds. And don't be fooled being in a shoe shop or putting them on for 10 seconds after you've bought them. Amazon has delivered them or wherever has delivered them. And you go, oh yeah, it's fine. And then stand in them for, you know, 20 minutes and you just want to jump off a bridge. I have a pair, I actually got a pair of squishy, I call them squishy shoes. They were the Melissa brand. I don't know what they're made out of. Rubber? I don't know. It sounds like some sort of BDSM thing. And they probably could be good for BDSM, but I didn't buy them for BDSM. They were red. They were sort of made of this nice smelly plastic. (laughs) I also had a pair of Vivian, I've got a pair of Vivian Westwood similar style shoes also made by the Melissa brand they've got the big heart on them and they were always my gig shoes when I would do stand-up comedy and MC work I'd do corporate gigs where you would literally be standing for five hours in black tie sort of environments and these shoes were fun but they were the most comfy shoes comfy heels I've ever worn and you knew if I was pulling out the gig shoes I meant business I wanted to look smart but I was not going to be standing on stage in stilettos I do think people underestimate comfort, even with dresses as well. If that dress, if you're in your final fitting or whatever you're wearing, suit, I'm talking to everyone here, boys, girls, whatever you're wearing, if it feels uncomfortable when you're in a shop or a store, then you need to question how you're going to cope with that discomfort and do you want to feel the discomfort on your wedding day and do you want to pay potentially an obscene amount of money to wear something 
that you feel uncomfortable in before you've even bought it. I don't think that in this day and age you need to purchase a piece of attire that although may look fabulous makes you feel shit and and just just as a lovely bride chiller Kirsten was saying that you don't want to be standing in your wedding ceremony going oh my fucking feet my fucking feet yes I love you and I commit my life oh my god my feet I I just I need to take the shoes off this is just not your day so think be very wise think about it and for the love of God, if you do order a pair of shoes that you don't wear normally or a style of shoes that you don't wear normally, I'm not saying you're schlepping around in your wedding shoes every day, wear them at home. Don't do a 10-minute wear-in. Like legitimately wear them around. And don't pull any of that shit like, I don't want my partner to see the wedding shoes. I don't want, to, I don't want them to see it. Who cares? They're a pair of shoes. It doesn't matter. Wear them beforehand. Do yourself a favor. Why have I got so grouchy today? I don't know. Friends and family are often people we regret. <laughs> Bradchilla Victoria, I wouldn't had let my mother guilt me into. Here we go. Here's the list. One, wearing a veil. She paid for it, but it was a total waste. Oh, I love it. Two, having a bouquet and a traditional one at that. Should have just gone with my idea of clutch bouquet and made my own with a few statement flowers I stuck on a clutch purse. Oh, that's a good idea. I like that. Three, staying at her place the night before instead of at a hotel. She's, quote, more comfortable getting ready in her own home. I saw it as her sneaky way to have a night alone with me. Mum, go to the hotel. Four, hiring a car to take us to the venue. She paid because she wanted it. But again, total waste. Mama. (sighs) Number five, having a 4pm start. Oh, fuck. On a Sunday... Half of our guests left early. I thought they might stay because we had lots of guests with alternative schedules. But I was wrong. Many were gone by the last hour or so. She thought she needed all that time to get ready. What the fuck? I'm the bride and I could have been ready for it. She's got more regrets, but I want to stop here. There's more and they're good. Mum, 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 mum. This has happened. Victoria's done it. She's 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 done it. But I feel like Victoria's story, many of us can learn from it. Mums especially, I think, can get a little pushy, a little needy. And sometimes we hand her to it. And I feel like Victoria, obviously, in hindsight, there are a couple of things she wouldn't have done, like staying over at mum's house the night before. I reckon just because mum feels comfortable, it, this is the day that you can say politely, this is my comfort day, mum. This is my comfort day. Carry your clutch bouquet. Love that. And just do what you want to do. Easier said than done. But if you need me to talk to any of your mothers, I genuinely would call them. They're like, who the fuck's this woman? Who's this Aussie? Stop telling me what to do with my life and hang up. Other regrets. She says, should have negotiated at our venue for the type of meal we really wanted. More of an all-night cocktail hour rather than traditional cocktail hour and stations. Yes. If you don't ask, you do not receive. As we heard recently, earlier, uh, episode 2002, 2002, Jesus, I'll be 100 years old. uh, 302. Christ. We were talking to lovely Sarah from Joel's Catering, and she did say the same thing about catering, that often, you know, they will offer what they think is best, but often if clients go, actually, we want to mix it up a little bit, Sarah was saying they get quite excited something a bit different. You've just got to have the conversation and pitch it to them. 
Often caterers will love it. She says we should have also asked for fewer items in said cocktail hour and replace a, replacing it with mini Viennese hour. What the fuck's that? I want to know more about that. What's a mini Viennese hour? Hang on. I'm just going to go Google it. I'll be back. Okay, I've asked the Google. We learned as my grandmother, Grand Mary, amazing woman, no longer with us, would always say you learn something new every day, Alicia. Always be open to new ideas. Mini Viennese hour. Viennese hour is uh, many couples, this is from brides.com, so they know everything. Many couples are opting for this extended dessert hour, which includes a sumptuous, I can never say that word, dessert buffet, including Napoleons, mousses, petit foie, creme brulee. I've got a lot of in that, disgusting, sorry. <clears throat> Hang on, swallow. Creme brulee, tarts, fruits and ice cream. It usually occurs after the wedding cake is cut and served, and it's unsurprisingly a crowd pleaser. <laughs> a Viennese table. I don't know if I quite trust that result. 23 best. Okay, look, here's Pinterest. I'm just going to look at Pinterest quickly. Are we still with me? Shit, it just looks like amazing desserts. Oh, fuck. Give me Viennese hour every day. I'll be there. If you do a Viennese hour, I'm turning up. It's an Italian tradition. Okay, and it's a collection. It's usually a collection of sometimes elaborate dinner desserts cakes pies butter cookies oh my god mini page i'm so hungry right now fresh fruit ice cream chocolate dip strawberries oh literally a page of just listing amazing items good getting back to the message we've all learned something today viennese hour is exactly what she wanted to do i want a viennese hour right now not considering beer and wine and a signature drink instead of a full open bar Hardly any of our guests are even big drinkers, which was a waste, or even if we paid by consumption. But open bar is included in our package, and it's what was customary in our area, so I just went with it. Alcohol decisions can be really hard, especially if you said you haven't got a lot of drinkers in your community. It can be really hard, especially when a lot of venues love pushing the all-inclusive package on people because they make more money. It's tricky. you got to know your people before you jump in and negotiate. Finally, uh, not going with the higher priced package for our photos, so I could have picked our photographer in advance. We went with a great small company and our photographer was lovely and we did get to meet with her a few weeks before the wedding, but I would have preferred having time to build more of a rapport and really been able to give a better idea of what I was looking for. This is true, especially with the key player vendors, the photographers, your wedding planner, people that you're going to be seeing potentially quite a bit of. It's good to have that one-on-one time. Thank you very much, Bridechilla Victoria. I'm sorry your mum gave you a hard time, but it sounds like you still had a lovely day, I hope. Bridechilla Brooke, sharing the details when asked by co-workers and family, etc., because everyone has a different opinion on everything. I've learned to shrug and just say we haven't gotten to that bit yet, which works like a charm. It's a good, that's a good piece of advice. Bride Chiller Anna. I regret the amount of time and energy I wasted when my parents made me feel like getting married on a Friday was a travesty. It's a travesty. It dominated me and my future husband's headspace for far too long. And it's not even a topic of discussion or thought anymore. I should have just said, well, that's what we're going to do. Hmm. From the start, I not allowed my parents' narcissistic behaviours and rudeness get me all worked up. Again, parents have this way of pushing people's buttons. 
There are things that my dad could say to me that Richard would look at and it would just wash over him. And I'm like, what did you... I don't understand. What is that? <sighs> Bridechilla Lakeisha. While there is still accountability on my future mother-in-law and not just myself, I wish I would have asked her early on what type of expectations she had for the wedding so I could know them and decide what future husband and I would do. I would have preferred that that to her turning people against us because we weren't doing what she believes is appropriate. Other than that, <laughs> other than that, just starting to save money earlier. Good. I've been extremely blessed thus far in my planning process and expecting them that to continue. This is oh, future mother-in-law. I don't know what game she's playing, but that sounds sucky and I'm sorry about that. Also, I think having those conversations, whether she's contributing money or not, I think it's such a great suggestion. Although sometimes it can be orcs to sit down and ask about expectations, it will really prevent you from having any misunderstandings when you know what everyone feels and what they want. And then also, harking back to the idea that, you know, bride chiller Anna was saying about how her parents made her feel bad about getting married on a Friday, where you're like, well, here's, here's the deal, parents. We're getting married on a Friday. Are you going to be coping with that? Because this is what we're doing. These are my expectations. These are your expectations. Let's put it out on the table. Here's the reality of what's happening. Let's all move on. Size. Size was a big factor in your wedding regrets. Bridechilla Marie. We talked ourselves into having the big local wedding because I knew my parents couldn't afford the trip to Caribbean destination wedding. With paying for the travel and knowing a lot of family would come, the cost was almost the same. Fast forward a year later... We're spending more on the big wedding here. And sometimes I wish we'd just gone with the beach wedding we wanted and invited a smaller amount of people. In the six months before our May date, my fiancé started a new job. We bought a house. We're renovating said house. My fiancé is finishing school and will graduate two weeks before the ceremony. With so much going on, it would have been less stressful and easier on our wallets had we just done the small wedding on the beach. Good point. I like it. I don't have much to say about it because I think you, in your heart, you're on that beach and you get to go to that beach. You can get remarried on a beach. How about that? That's a good deal. I'm always planning our second and third weddings. Don't you worry about that. Got time for a couple more. I regret, this is Bride Chiller Jessica. I regret letting my wedding get as big as it did. I have trouble standing up for myself and advocating for what I want. And with a headstrong future mother-in-law, not so great. She tacked on a bunch of church friends at the very end of the invite process Ugh. after invites were printed. What? I told her no, but she said she'd already given them a save the date. Oh, fuck off. You got to give me her phone number. She asked me for a few extra to frame or to put in scrapbooks. What the? She is. So ultimately, I would end up putting a strict limit on invites. Hang on. So can I just, I don't. I want to get a bit detective here. Has mother-in-law... So she's asked you for a couple to frame, but sneakily, she's used those to invite her church people. That's a no-go. That's a shit move. Do you think she's gone to Kinko's and done some more? I want to know more about this story. Bridechilla Jessica, I'm sorry. She needs an Alicia phone call. Uh, final thoughts. Money. Let's end with money because I love talking about money. Bridechilla Janice. I regret how much I spent on flowers. It's half of the wedding budget. I know it'll be worth it, but damn, that's more expensive than my honeymoon.
Just going to leave that one there. Don't even need to comment. Good on you, Janice. Bridechilla Erica, I regret not spending more on photography. I like my photos. This is our lovely Erica. I know who this is. This is Erica, Erica. I like my photos, but we didn't have time to do many portraits together beyond the family pose pics after the ceremony. I now know so many amazing photographers who I would hire in a heartbeat. Erica, I'm always telling you, just do it again. Erica is our lovely friend from Folie A Deux events. She's a planner and coordinator and also my right-hand gal. She's also our content editor for the Bride Chiller community. We love you, Erica. You rock. Bride Chiller, Deirdre, my future husband and I regret not saving up more beforehand. I hear you, girlfriend. I hear you. Bride Chiller, Azelia, Azella. Azella. Mm, I wanted to get that so right. Please write to me and tell me if I got either of those pronunciations correct. I regret signing with a hotel that has a minimum spend. Oh no. No matter what we have to do to spend a certain amount of money, even if we cut our guest list. So if people I love can't make it, I'll have to invite the B or C list to make up the difference. Either that or have a smaller wedding with ridiculously amazing but expensive entrees. Filet and lobster, anyone? Oh, I love it. I'll pop along if you need to sp- need a couple of extra heads. Rich and I'll be there. Bridechilla Megan finally says, uh, I regret being pressured into inviting some of my family members who I don't particularly like. If I hadn't invited them, we'd be able to invite more of our mutual friends. It's tricky. It's obligation guest city. I would say anyone listening to this who hasn't doesn't know what obligation guests are or potentially needs an obligation guest solution, if you visit bridechillerstore.com and purchase the Bridechiller Survival Guide, I have a whole big mother of a chapter on guest list making and obligation list breaking. It's one of my favorite chapters and there's lots of tips just to give you, to empower you to really make a decision about the guest list that is about you and not other people making decisions like lovely Megan has been forced into. I've really enjoyed sharing your wedding regrets. I actually think I've learned a lot. I hope you've learned a lot. I hope you've been inspired and I hope potentially thinking about your wedding plans, maybe there's been something in this episode that you've gone, actually, we don't need that or we definitely need that or I need to rethink that. That's what I hope that these episodes bring you and I'm really grateful for everyone who contributed to the conversation. And I have another couple of great um, questions that I'm pitching to you in the Bride Chiller community. If you're not a member, all you need to do is visit Facebook. The Facebook. That's what it was originally called. The Facebook. Facebook.com. And just search for Bride Chiller Community. It's a group. You answer three simple questions. One of them is your PIN and password for your banks. No, it's not. It's not. I'm not a scammer. No, it's just basically asking if you're legit, if you're a Bride Chiller. If you listen to the podcast, clearly yes, if you've gotten this far into the episode. And uh, you're not going to be a dick. And if you pass those three questions, which I highly think you will, join the community and take part in uh, just amazingness. Thank you to everyone who has purchased a copy or copies of the Bride Chiller Survivor Guide and Field Guide. I'm very excited. They will be, uh, if you're listening this week, what date is this? No, they're still a couple of weeks away. But hopefully mid-Feb. Mid-Feb to early March is when we're expecting them. And I'm very excited to send my babies all over the world. Set them free. 
Next week, we have the lovely Jess from the Budget Savvy Bride, who's also written a wedding planner. We're talking about five budget-busting tips. She's sharing her, her, her tips to stay on budget, basically. We talked a lot about budget in this episode. And she runs thebudgetsavvybride.com, and it's a blog all about planning a wedding on a budget. It's fantastic, and we have a really good conversation. Until that episode, I bid you adieu. I bid you happy days. The Bridechiller Podcast, empowering you to kick wedding planning ass every day.